Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that we do, how we look at our profession, and all that kind of stuff. And we are responding to a listener email today. We have this from Jake. Hi, Kurt and Katie. I very much enjoyed listening to your podcast. I find that I align with many of the ways you conceptualize and approach counseling. I wanted to ask about some content I've been looking for, but have not yet found a lot of transitioning from graduate to becoming pre-licensed. I'm set to graduate this summer and want to hit the ground running. I myself work for an organization that provides in-home services and can access supervision, but I am dreading being locked in for several more years to accomplish this. I am so ready and eager to move to outpatient counseling and have been researching options for starting a practice, being pre-licensed, and self-pay. I am concerned about losing a steady income and the health insurance that I provide for my family, but I feel so very unfulfilled in what I'm currently doing, productivity over quality, and I want to find any possible options I can. In my area, I know that I can bring a unique and needed approach for my community that is riddled with CBT practices. Just want to be able to weigh practicality with my desire. Any and all help is appreciated. Katie, we've had this debate throughout our entire relationship. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) About what people should be doing coming out of grad school. And I'll volley to you. (laughs) Okay, so... I think what we're deciding to do here is we're going to first answer Jake specifically. And then for those of you who have a different situation than Jake, we will revisit our debate on what all people should do or what they might consider doing. And so I'll start with Jake. Hi, Jake. Thanks for reaching out to the show. So what I'm, what I'm hearing from Jake is that the desire is to go into a private practice, a self-pay private practice. That is the long-term goal. And I think there's the hesitations, and and this is where I think a lot of folks end up in community mental health. The hesitation is that there is a a soul sucking job. No, no, no. That's that's not the hesitation. That's the reason to want to leave. The hesitation <laughs> is there's not the financial stability, potentially benefits, those types of things that you can get from agencies or or organizations like that, and so. My advice to Jake is to find a group practice that would have really solid client base, align clinically if possible, good supervision, 
one that has a reputation in the community, has a supervisor that would support Jake's desire for their own practice or something like that. I think it's it's something where it's clear to me if someone wants to do, they know they want to do group practice from the from the jump that they probably want to start doing that. But there's a lot of pitfalls to starting in a in a group practice or or in a private practice as a pre licensed or or a provisionally licensed person if you don't know what you're looking for because there's a lot of private practices and and I've even talked and, and worked with folks on recruiting around really low pay, not a real guarantee of clients and that kind of stuff. And so there, there are things to worry about in private practice when you're not in your own practice or even when you are, but not when you're in your own practice. You have to know what you're looking for, but the private practice route is potentially possible. And I'm throwing up a little bit in my mouth because I, I oftentimes think that people might find a little bit more of what they need uh, going into a larger organization, although a lot of folks might be throwing things at their listening device for this podcast. (laughs) Uh, But that is for the debate later. Right now for Jake, it sounds like Jake knows what they're wanting to do and will uh, be focusing in on private practice. I'm of the philosophy that especially if where you imagine yourself being is in private practice at some point. My recommendation is start doing that as soon as reasonably possible. Yes. Now, this does not have to be an entire like, all right, I'm just diving in, not taking any precautions whatsoever. This does need to be done intelligently. That, you know, for a lot of the things that Jake is talking about here, having a good sense of how long can I weather this kind of a monetary balance? Like if I do have bills that need to be paid, if I have a roof that I need over my head, health insurance, need to provide for a family, stop being chased by Navient and Sally May for my student loans. <laughs> if any of those things apply to you, know know the financial situation that you're walking into. Exactly. Because this is not something where it's just like, you must absolutely just work in an agency or you should totally jump into private practice. But I'm of the philosophy that if you are going into private practice, if that is something that you have gone through grad school, you're like, private practice is ultimately where I'm going to end up being. Start doing it as soon as possible. That if it's joining a group practice, if it's starting with one or two clients, in addition to whatever your crappy agency job is that does pay all of those bills, it's slowly building out your private practice. One of the wonderful things of being in private practice is if you're good at it, and especially as Jake's aligning here of you know being self-pay and not necessarily tied to insurance or some third-party payer, once you help clients they tend to come back mm-hmm. when they need help again in the future. And so that is something that you cannot buy. It's not some sort of continuing education workshop where it's like you're <laughs> able to check off, like, I have this evidence-based skill now. The The one thing that really benefits you in this direction is you can't buy time. Yes. And so the sooner that you start seeing clients, the sooner that you're going to start getting clients and the sooner that they're going to be helped and potentially come back someday. Because a lot of times what happens in practice is you're going to get some clients who come in who want very short-term 12, 20 session therapy. 
and you're going to get clients who want to be your client forever. Yes. And what happens is, you know, you get 20 clients and 17 of them fall into that former category of like, I, I want short-term therapy. Then you've got three who are there forever with you. And then you've got, you know, your next group that funnels through and you pick up two or three more. And these are the things that being in practice longer ends up affording you. The tipping point that we're talking about here, Jake, is when do you completely leave agency work once you've started accumulating those kinds of clients, whether it's in a small group practice that's a little bit slower paced, whether it's in a larger group practice that starts you know, feeding you all of the support that Katie describes. These are some of the decisions that I would suggest really sitting down and looking at where is that balance in my personal monetary situation at this moment. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. The thing I want to just reiterate is when you look for a group practice, make sure you're not finding a group practice that's just a duplication of a community mental health organization, because some do that. There's low pay, you you have high billing rates because they're taking insurance or they're doing a lower fee than they can really afford. And so you end up working for crappier rates and it's kind of like a private practice, but it's really more like an agency. So you want to find one that's really positive, that supports the clinicians. And Kurt, I have to hand it to you. You have a group practice like that. I, I've met all, I think, no, not all, most of your clinicians, <laughs> and they're all happy. They're, they're seeing clients. They're full. They're getting good training. They're getting supervision from you. And so to me, like when I see practices that work, I know that it's hopeful, but I've also seen a lot of, you know, I did recruiting for pre-licensed folks for a long time. And I've heard a lot of stories for folks that it was, I was barely making $20 an hour and I only had two or three clients a week. <laughs> and so it's it's something where the group practice owner hasn't figured it out. So there's episodes that we have on finding a job and, and interviewing. So I'll leave that there and I'll put those things in the show notes. But I, I think it's something where there is a discernment that needs to happen to identify is this actually preparing you for the private practice that you want to have in five years? Or is it a mill where you're turning through insurance clients that don't align or you're, you're in a space where you're working for a fee that you wouldn't be able to sustain in your own practice? Because you can be in a tough spot either way. Would you agree with that? Yes. Uh, and I'll maybe not throw quite so much caution as Katie <laughs> is here in that you don't don't let perfect be the opposite of good sure. in this either. 
Katie and I are both in the Los Angeles area where there's roughly 8 million therapists per building. (laughs) So there's a lot of opportunities here for pre-licensed people to theoretically join practices. Mm -hmm. If you're motivated enough to attract the kinds of clients to yourself that might go a little bit beyond just what the agency is providing, that's even doing yourself even more favors in the long mm-hmm. run as far as you know really being able to put yourself out there. And in, if that's the case, you know it might be a practice that isn't quite you know throwing every single referral. It's not like you're walking in and getting 20 clients just right off the sure. top. But those are then again, through all of the things that you've probably heard through many of our other episodes, those are the clients who are probably going to stick with you even more. And once you do get licensed and you're able to start running your own practice are likely going to be the ones that follow you anyway. These are really where it's what you're weighing is short-term get through my licensure hours. So that way I can get licensed and then start this process that Kurt is already describing or go maybe a little bit slower through it right now and have a little bit more delayed gratification to have the practice that you absolutely want by the time that you do become individually licensed and can run your own practice. And if you know you want to run your own practice, that is another consideration when you sign on with someone because some group practice owners will do non-competes. They're not really totally enforceable, but it's something where There is kind of acrimony if you are going in planning to have your own practice and they really want you to stay for the rest of your career. And so there's there's some difference there. I think it's also something about the best group practices are ones that say like, hey, we're not going to put a non-compete in place and we're okay with you taking the clients with you when you go. But it is something where there's a lot of different types of group practices and really great ones and ones that are, you know, on the other end of the spectrum that are, you know, basically, like I said, community mental health organizations. So for you, Jake, I would suggest really, you know, kind of doing some soul searching, find the, the, the group practice that's right for you. And like what Kurt was saying, I've seen a lot of folks be able to do kind of that balance of having agency job where you you know, kind of work there until you're able to build the caseload that gets you out into a group practice or your own practice if, if it's li- your license by the time that happens. And so you still have the income, the stability, but you also are building what you want f- in the long run. Okay, so we answered Jake's question. <laughs> yes. So now for all the rest of the folks who are thinking, but I have a very different situation. I mean, neither you nor I had a private practice pre-licensed. So biggest regret of my life. <laughs> Maybe not. I but hope biggest not. Regret, biggest regret of my career, maybe. Okay. Is okay. not having started a, a private practice earlier. Yeah. And I think for me, I didn't want to be in private practice. Like that wasn't my trajectory. I didn't know that I wanted to do private practice. I still don't know some days. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think there are folks that that become therapists because they want to become therapists, but they don't necessarily know what specialty or niche they want to be in. They don't know what type of job they want. They just know they want to be a therapist and they may not even know know all the options. And so if you've got someone coming forward that isn't as definitive about going into private practice as Jake is, like, where would you sit on what they should do? I would tell them, start doing the homework of what all the different options are and start talking with people in all those different areas. Okay. So informational interviews, basically. 
Basically, yeah, because it's something where we hear a lot of people, especially in response to our DMH agency type episodes of like, I am losing my soul being in this kind of position. (laughs) I entered into this field because I wanted to be a therapist and help people. And much like Jake, what I ran into is I left my soul and it is just now out there in in the nether and I have nothing left to give anywhere else. And if I can help prevent people from making those very same mistakes, part of it is really doing your homework on where are people really not getting the satisfaction of being back in this field or why they entered this field in the first place. If you can talk with other people and multiple other people to get an idea of like, oh, I didn't know that this was an option. Or everybody from this particular type of field does, you know, has this kind of a super negative response. These people don't seem to really like what they're doing or, you know, why are all of the old therapists bitter when it comes to insurance or, you know, whatever else it might be. Mm-hmm get that information from other people. So that way you can align yourself on a path that it might not be a perfect, like I want to end here, but if it helps prevent you from having to make a bunch of mistakes along the way in order to be like, ah, fuck it. I'm just (laughs) going to do my own thing. (laughs) I I agree with, uh, with all of those points. I think for me, I think that the thing that I, I feel a little cautious about is Assuming that people will have their their soul sucked from community mental health or or really nice nonprofit organizations, and that there's no benefit there, because I truly feel like I, I had benefit in being in community mental health. It was something that was aligned when I started. There were times it wasn't. There were things that were problematic, but for me, I felt like there was an opportunity to try to to make some change. And during my pre-license journey, I I certainly felt like there were a number of times along the way that I was like, this sucks and this is horrible. But there was also times when I felt like, I can't believe this is my job. I'm helping people. It feels so powerful and meaningful. I'm getting really great training. I met people that I'm still friends and colleagues with. I mean, it's it's something where I do believe that there are opportunities for positive and community mental health because sometimes there's pretty good salaries. I know that that's not always the case. It may not even be commonly the case, but I, I think it's something where there's there are some opportunities that are good. Like I said, I actually got really great training on trauma-informed care. I went to the African-American Mental Health Conference and got to see Dr. Joy DeGruy. Like I had all of these opportunities that I would not have had in a private practice. And so for me, I did find it very positive. I got to learn a lot of things about leadership, some good, some bad. <laughs> I got to be able to do, you know, program design and development. I, you know, I, I felt like there were really positive things. And I fell out you know, for all the burnout reasons. And we've talked about in other episodes, but it it was not, it was, I was going strong when I got licensed and I was excited to become a supervisor in community mental health and and a manager and a, a director. Like I was excited about those things. And so, yes, I did burn out and wash out, but it was like 15 years in. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. 
Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. And I'm sitting here reflecting back on my time of being in agencies where I got sent to trainings that didn't help not only where I ended up in private practice, but didn't really help me with the agency that I was in either. Yeah. And I was able to kind of pick and choose a lot of the workshops and stuff and conferences and going to speakers and stuff along the way in private practice that were things that I were that I was more interested in in doing mm-hmm. that did more impact my client caseloads that you know ultimately this is a free market versus a directed agency type thing that I'm glad that I didn't have to sit through a bunch of trainings that I didn't want to do and you know continuing education system being what it is I still have to do those from time to time <laughs> but it's something where I think if you can really sit down with yourself and clarify, here's the direction that I want to go. Some people need to work in agencies to afford those kinds of trainings or to get the exposure to the variety of clients they want. But that is not the only path towards doing that. And this again comes down to how clear is your vision for yourself that, you know, not everybody can move from having their soul sucked up to being a soul sucking dementor type (laughs) agency person like Katie. So, so you're calling me a dementor? (laughs) You managed in community mental health. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, there were times I did feel like a dementor or, or Chiron pulling souls across the, the river sticks. But I think that was where my burnout came was realizing as a a manager, what the limitations were within the the agency that I was in to make some of those changes. I mean, I think about the conversations and the connection with some of my colleagues as as a clinician, a frontline clinician. And I mean... Lots have changed since that happened, and there's things that are even more soul-sucking that, it, that were coming down the pike as I was a supervisor, so I get that. It's not exactly what it was when I was, when I was a wee one in, in those situations, but I want to say that we're, we're both saying, do what makes you happy, do what makes what fits for you. And also do what practically you can do. I mean, I was paid a salary, had benefits, did the things I needed to do the whole time I was getting my my hours. You know, I was able to get supervision, supervised hours. That was definitely, you know, included. And so, the, I mean, I think in, no matter what job you're looking for when you're pre or provisionally licensed, I think you want to have it aligned with with your needs. I mean... There's so much I learned from my colleagues in public mental health. I mean, I learned so much. That's where I learned about narrative and that's where I learned about trauma-informed care, you know, and and resilience and and all of the things that I use all the time. I mean, it sounds like our experiences were very different and that probably, you know, impacts how we view it. But I, I think there's there's real things to think about here. I mean, I got licensed fairly quickly, as did you, because there were so many hours we were able to accrue. Now, you're saying take your time, kind of do that stuff. I feel like, you know, sure, take your time if you can. But if you can't, if you need to get paid and you want to get licensed as quickly as possible, there are plenty of of opportunities for training at every stage of your career. And so you don't have to know everything before you're licensed and like, okay, I'm done. Like you can explore things if you don't know 
who you want to work with. You can you can try different things on with other people who have built those, you know, with other agencies or group practices that have those specialties. Taking the time as a pre-licensed person to be able to get that kind of training and that kind of experience, I don't think is bad. If you know your niche, yeah, start and immediately start building your practice so that you can have those long-term clients that start with you, you know, from the beginning. Well, I think one major difference mm -hmm. that more so compared to your pre-license experience than to mine is there's a little thing now that is called the internet that is more, I, more the available internet to existed more people. When I was a pre-licensed person. <laughs> But a lot of these trainings and exposures and connections to other people are more readily available. Sure. Evidenced by things like the award-winning podcast, The Modern Therapist Revival. <laughs> are we award-winning now? <laughs> My mom named this the best podcast for therapists that she knows of. Okay, and good. Good, good. Thanks, mom. <laughs> uh, but... You're, you're pointing to things have changed. Yes. And, you know, part of this is really being able to look at, I got licensed during the Great Recession. Mm -hmm. There are things to take into consideration right now sure. that your financial situation might put you into a different space. You know, student loans, if that's a part of your consideration, those laws have been rewritten several times yeah. over since Katie and I were in school. The, the main takeaway of this is do what's right for you. Know what's right for you. Be informed about that. Make a plan that's according to that. Know that there's no one right way to do it. There's no award for being the most rounded out therapist of all time by going to all of the trainings to face all of the different populations. But there's also not an award for having your niche and specialty from the day you graduate. There's a lot of there's a lot of evidence that being very specialized like that at least helps your clients faster and is potentially more lucrative by being able to be more effective with those clients. Sure, but but knowing that from the day that you graduate isn't required for you to be a good therapist True. in the long run. I'm just saying True. there's there's not an award for being well-rounded and there's not a, an award for being single focused. There's all of the, the the spectrum of things in between. <laughs> Jake, if you want an award, I will make an award. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I, I mean, I think I think all of what we've said, we're pretty much in alignment. It's just we have slightly different perspectives, which of course we do because we had different experiences. But I think we'll start closing up here because I think this is a you know such an it depends kind of conversation. But I think it's it's really important to talk to colleagues, do these infor informational interviews, be willing to leave a job or, or get a new one if things aren't working for you. There are other opportunities. I think there are positive opportunities somewhere near you, I'm hoping. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes I'm very positive and sometimes I'm very cautious, but I think that there's, there's more than just the opportunity that's right in front of you. And so be thoughtful ask the question, send us emails. Obviously, we'll, we'll do whole podcast episodes sometimes on, on these, these decisions. But think about the, the point that you said, Kurt, that I think is really the most is th think about where you want to be in five years. And some of that's what practice do you want? Some of it could be how much debt do you want to be facing? And so sometimes maybe the money is more important than the particular experience. And then some of it is 
how much time you have towards the end of your career. I mean, people, later stage folks may not want to take forever to get licensed because they want to be licensed right away and doing what they want for their retirement career. So each person has their own thing. We made reference to a couple of previous episodes. We'll include links to those in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. Follow us on our social media. Reach out to us if you also want an award to connect with us <laughs> on either social media or send us an email. And if you want to join in conversations with us, find us over on Patreon. We're doing some Q&A things. We're also having our happy hours again for our patrons. So find us over on Patreon as well. And until next time, I'm Kurt with Helm with Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 